What's up, cool cats and cuties? This is the Promenade Merchants Podcast, a Star Trek podcast out on the frontier. So sit down and grab a rock to Gino as David Majors and Heather Kirby talk all things Star Trek. Old, new, and what's to come. The Promenade Merchants are open for business. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast, your brand new Star Trek podcast. I'm David Majors, and I'm accompanied by Heather Kirby. What's going on, Heather? Hi, David. And in case anyone who is listening to this doesn't know, we are recording on April the 5th. So happy First Contact Day. Happy First Contact Day. And we're going to talk a little bit about Star Trek First Contact. I know a lot of people are watching that today as we're recording this. And I know, Heather, you mentioned you were too right before we recorded. So we'll talk about that and a few other Star Trek movies in just a minute. But uh, let's get started with the old business on the podcast. Uh, On the last episode, uh, I mentioned that I just had a question Uh, I wasn't really trying to show off any nerd rage or anything. Uh, I was just wondering, since we saw the trailer or or the teaser for the upcoming season of Star Trek Discovery, I I simply asked the question if we were going to get a date. And the word is that it is soon. And originally I thought, hmm, okay, what's going on? And then COVID-19 happened. (laughs) and all of humanity is working from home so the post-production is going on as it goes on and when they say soon it'll be soon so i think that's pretty understandable it'll it'll be okay so just a quick update on that one uh so yeah i'm excited regardless of when it comes out. Picard is finished, uh, at least for this season, which we'll talk about in a little bit as well. And Heather, I'm excited. I I just love having all of this Star Trek going on. I do too. And I'm so excited for season three of Discovery that I'm just like you. I just want to know when it's going to come out and and what's going to happen. And since we talked the last time, like we've had a few more details come out. Uh, The editor... The main editor for Star Star Trek Discovery uh, posted that he only had one more episode to edit, but then the other comments I saw online were from Jeff Russo, who is the composer for uh, the current shows of Star Trek, both Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard, and he said he was working on the score for season three of Star Trek Discovery, but the main thing that's holding him up is due to the lockdowns, the orchestra can't record the score. So that's probably one of the biggest holdups to when season three is going to come out. But we know it's done. We know they're just finishing up the final touches and we're going to get new Star Trek in the near future. That's right. And that's the most important part. Like the old saying goes, they'll, they'll fix it in post. And right now, Star Trek Discovery season three It's in post, so we can all be patient and be excited for it. Uh, So let's just jump into what we mentioned at the top. Uh, On last week's episode, I also mentioned that uh, while we're all working from home and on lockdown, 
I decided to catch up on the Star Trek movies that I either just never got around to or it's been a very, very, very long time since I've watched them. Uh, you might have noticed that the ongoing theme with all of them was that it was the movie starring the original cast. Uh, William Shatner, DeForest Kelly, Leonard Nimoy, the, the original series cast. Uh, and since we, since we last talked, Heather, uh, I watched three of them. And we'll get into them all. Uh, Star Trek The Most in Picture, which I had not seen before from 1979. Uh, the Wrath of Khan, which I had watched twice in my life, but it had been maybe four or five years. And The Undiscovered Country, which I had watched once when I was a teenager. Uh, of those three, Heather, well, actually, I, I think I already know your answer probably on this one because everyone loves the wrath of Khan. But <laughs> I, I'm especially interested in your thoughts on the first one, Star Trek, the motion picture, because everything that I had read about this one was that it was so bad. Everyone was saying that the Star Trek, Star Trek, the motion picture was just awful and just not good at all. Uh, how did you feel about that one? I personally, well, first off, out of the six Star Trek original series movies, these three movies happen to be my three favorite. I love each and every one of them for different ways. Um, I love Star Trek the motion picture. I know there's so many people who have so many negative things about it, but I think it's a really unique, uh, it, it, it's a very classic science fiction story. And it, it, it's not an action movie. Uh, it's more about discovering, uh, it, it's more like a, a science mystery and trying to discover something that uh, you don't know what it is. You have this mysterious threat. You're trying to deal with it. Uh, but there, there's a lot of unknowns to it. And the, the, the final act of that movie, when you realize that this creature that you're dealing with is actually something that was built by humans on Earth in the 20th century, it's, it's mind-boggling that, that something like that could go to the far reaches of the solar system and be turned into something entirely different, an entirely new form of living a, a, a sentient machine and uh, that just wants to to grow and achieve more and and to bond with humans and learn from them so i i, I really love star trek the motion picture i i don't get where the negativity comes from i think it's a really unique story and uh there's a lot to love about it I will say that I probably didn't like Star Trek The Motion Picture as much as you did, but I really liked it. I loved the story they were telling. I loved the acting. I loved the characters. And I loved the the reveal of what V'ger was. And all of the things you said were true. Uh, I loved that it was a mystery story rather than a sci-fi action flick. Uh, it, was it a little light on action? Yes. But it made up for that in story and, and intrigue and theme. I, I think it was big on theme. Yes. And the theme of Star Trek always being exploration. And they did a really, really good job with that in this movie. Uh, yes, 
I will say it was a little slow at times. It was a little long. But I was willing to give that a pass because a lot of those longer, slower moments were through visual storytelling and cinematography. And you you don't expect that from a sci-fi movie, uh, especially from the 1970s. But they did a really good job of panning through and giving you a idea of the visual scope of seeing the Enterprise in space dock and going through V'ger and all of these large scale visual things. And for the time it came out, uh, I can imagine this being a visual marvel of a film. I think it was really, really well done. I will also say I probably liked the costumes in this movie more than most people. I, I really? really, yes, yes. I actually enjoyed the white pajama Federation uniforms. So that that's me. I liked them. I liked quite a few of the costumes. They were they were very 1970s, but I think in a good way. They were a good kind of 70s classic sci-fi, and and I duck it. Also, Bones McCoy pre rejoining the Enterprise in his clearly going out for a night on the town in 1979 with full beard and and disco outfit was just fantastic at the beginning of the movie Uh, but yeah i will say that for star trek the motion picture i give it a thumbs up I, i give it a pretty good thumbs up i will say that i liked it heather i like star trek the motion picture so for the record, that's three thumbs up for Star Trek The Motion Picture, one from David and two from me. <laughs> okay. Uh, the next one, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, everyone knows this one. Uh, but can I say something mildly controversial? Go ahead. This is maybe the third time that I've watched this uh, in full. And I have to say, I don't think I enjoyed it as much now than when I did when I was younger. Really? Uh, yeah, I, it was, it was good. It was fun. Maybe it's just because I've seen it so many times, but it felt more campy than the motion picture. It felt more over the top. Uh, I think that in, in retrospect, I liked that they went to different planets and it had some action and it had some suspense, but it felt like almost with the Wrath of Khan, they were telling five or six different stories in one movie. And I feel like the Wrath of Khan should have had the motion pictures film length because it had the con story. It had the story of Kirk's son. It had Spock. It had, it had a number of different things that they could have gone in directions with. And it just felt like they threw a lot of really good stories into one movie. And it made one really, really good movie, but it felt like maybe not everything was p- completed as well as it could have been. Like, I'm glad that they resolved the issue with James Kirk and, and David, his son. I like that they ended that on a good note. Uh, I think that it was interesting what they did with Spock. Uh, 
spoilers, I guess, statute of limitations, it's been nearly 40 <laughs> years, uh, with Spock dying, I actually thought that would have been a great transition point. Uh, and that that actually really intrigued me with what they could have done with that. Uh, I'm not sure if I were in that position, I would have done what they would have done. Uh, killing off a major character is supposed to be uh, an idea where you really move on, and they immediately brought him back. Uh, but you know what? Honestly, I take that back. That always happens in fiction. Uh, you kill a main character and you bring them back. That that happens a lot now. So maybe maybe the Wrath of Khan was just ahead of the curve. But I really enjoyed it. And the one thing that I've always enjoyed in Star Trek is when you see the main characters on another ship. So I loved seeing Chekhov on another ship. That was cool because it reminded you that the Federation is more than just one ship. Uh, eventually, when we talk about the Undiscovered Country, we'll see uh, Sulu in command of his own ship as well. And, and I thought that was really cool. And... Uh, again, um, William Shatner and Ricardo Montalban, they were fantastic. Uh, the action between the ships was great. All in all, it was a really, really fun movie to watch. And I really have no complaints about The Wrath of Khan. Uh, I, if nothing else, I would say I wish we could have had more of it. Because like I said, there were stories in that movie that could have been expanded upon. I, I I will definitely agree with that. I think there are are some stories in that movie that that deserved a little bit more expansion, but because of everything that they were trying to do with it, they didn't really get that. Um, I I sort of have Khan is one of my favorite antagonists in all of Star Trek, and uh, it, it's kind of for a very personal reason uh, because. I was born with a genetic disorder uh, type of albinism. And uh, so there's just something about Khan being genetically altered and having to deal with uh, his differences because of his genes and how people treat him differently, um, especially across the three different times we see the character of Khan in the Star Trek universe that I, I kind of relate to in a way. Uh, so I, I have a very personal bias when it comes to the wrath of Khan. I, I do love the movie and I love the character and the different things they do with it. I, I will say that in this particular movie, Khan is the most, um, definitely at his villainous here because he's really focused on revenge. And so there's not as much depth to his character as there is when we first saw him in TOS. And also when you see the character portrayed differently in into darkness, which is a whole nother discussion. We're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I agree with a lot of what you said. There's there's definitely so much different things going on with Khan, uh, Kirk, uh, his feelings about getting older, 
the cadets on the ship, the Genesis planet, uh, Dr. Marcus and, and their work. So it's one of those things where they put all these ideas together to make a story and it's a really good story. But then at the end you're left wondering, well, what happened with this or what happened with that? Or I, I want a whole lot more detail there. But overall, uh, what yeah. it felt like, what it felt like is the motion picture would have was a really good singular episode of Star Trek, the original series. The Wrath yes. of Khan had like a whole season's worth of stories in there. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll agree with that, definitely. Uh, okay, also I watched uh, The Undiscovered Country, Star Trek, The Undiscovered Country. The Undiscovered Country. Okay, words. All right. S- I really dug this one a lot because... I love the larger historical picture of the Star Trek universe. And this movie depicted arguably the most important moments in the history of the Star Trek universe. It was the beginning of the Kittimer, the Kittimer Accords, uh, the peace treaty between the Klingon Empire and the Federation. And yep. I thought that was... It was a historical moment that I wanted to see. Uh, and I think I'm not the only one who can say this. I love General Chang. He was fantastic. Uh, yes. all, all of the Klingons in this movie were, were fantastic. Uh, even the, the man known as Worf, who is not Worf. That, that was, that was a great bit of accidental fan service. But the entire movie, I really, really enjoyed. I felt like the second act was really, really strong with Kirk and McCoy stranded on the prison planet, uh, having to get off the planet, uh, having this other person. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed all of it. Uh, this, in this watch, this most recent watch of these movies, I enjoyed the undiscovered country the most because I enjoyed all of the new characters. I loved seeing Captain Sulu with his own vessel, and I'm really glad Voyager went back to that and teased a little bit of that as well. Uh, I imagine there were a lot of Star Trek fans back around this time that would have loved to have seen George Takei uh, leading his own series. I-, I-, I can imagine people being really interested in that the same way they're interested in Captain Pike now. Uh, seeing Sulu leading his own Star Trek vessel would have been really fantastic and, and fun. But yeah, out of these three that I watched recently, I really enjoyed The Undiscovered Country the most. Heather, how do you feel about Star Trek VI? I had a feeling you would like this one the most. <laughs> I, I, it, it's, it's Like I said at the start, these three are my three favorite of the TOS movies, and Star Trek VI just has so much to love about it. Uh, it, it really is historical, and it brings a lot of context to especially someone who who just re- watched it re- recently uh like you did the first time I watched it was about a month ago and it really does bring a lot of context to the Star Trek universe as I knew it like uh growing up with TNG and learning about Klingon history through Worf and the Kittimer Accords and things like that to see that fold out on screen and also the the 
main dilemma of the episode, which is challenging uh, Kirk's feelings about the Klingons and how he feels going into a, a peace accord with them. I think it's it's a lesson that is always timely and 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 it's it's something that's always relevant and, and touches people when they see stuff like that because it makes people challenge uh, their own beliefs in their own life when it comes to dealing with people who are different than them. And I think that is something that has been a part of Star Trek since the very beginning. Uh, it is exploring new life and new worlds, and that usually involves new civilizations, people that are different from you. And you might not necessarily get along with them in the beginning, <laughs> kind of like the Klingons. But over time, uh, you you learn, you understand, and it gets better. Uh, I think that Chancellor Gorkon was a great Klingon Chancellor. Uh, he was clearly very much for the Empire. But at the same time, he he understood that the Federation, he clearly saw the Federation as equals and respected them, even though maybe the other Klingons didn't necessarily feel that way. But in the end, the war had gone on long enough and, and they were at a ceasefire and it was like, OK, it, it really is time to move forward. And he, he made a great point about the fact with with Kirk and General Chang, he made the point that he said that it will be our generation that will have the toughest time adjusting to change. And that was extremely well written. Yeah. Because that really is how it goes in in war and any time in life where things are changing and you see society changing. Uh, when you're a little bit older and you see the world changing around you, it is tougher. But it oftentimes is for the better. And you you learn to be okay with that. Very true. Uh, also, I will say one more time, uh, Sulu, uh, as captain, I, I think that should have been a thing, and I was I was happy to see it, and, and I, I don't know, it just made me happy, because I hadn't seen that before, so when I saw that Sulu was captain of the USS Excelsior, that really made me happy, and it goes back to, again, seeing that Star Trek is more than just one ship. It's more than just the Enterprise or the ship that is part of the series. And for me, that was really, really cool because I love seeing that Starfleet is a whole thing because I just think that's cool. I agree. I agree. All right. So overall... Thumbs up on all of them. No real surprises. I think of the three that I watched, I enjoyed The Undiscovered Country the most. Uh, probably in between now and the next time we record, Heather, I'll watch the rest of them, including the one I'm really not looking forward to at all. <laughs> okay. And, and that would be, everybody, uh, Star Trek for The Voyage Home. I'm, I'm not really excited about that one. I'm just going to throw that out there you can you can fight me on that one at call me djm on twitter but yeah i'm i'm not particularly excited about that one how do you feel about the voyage home um no comment 
<laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that that helps. <laughs> but but let's go to another Star Trek movie. Uh, just while we're recording today, it just so happens to be April fifth, uh, in twenty twenty. And it's First Contact Day, the day where the Vulcans touched down in Montana to meet humanity, courtesy of one Zephram Cochran, as was depicted in Star Trek First Contact. Uh, yeah, Heather, you were just saying that you were watching this just today while I was gallivanting around and prepping for the podcast. I, I was not being a good Trekkie and, and watching the movie today. Uh, so, yeah. Star Trek First Contact. I, you know, I was watching it. I paused it uh, just before the the final act started uh, when uh, Picard confronts the Borg Queen and Data up on the Enterprise E. Um, I think First Contact is kind of unique because everyone, like, has their own opinions about which of their TOS films is the favorite. I think pretty much unanimously amongst Trekkies, uh, Star Trek First Contact is the best out of all the TNG films. It, it, it's very uh, standalone in that it, it's like we talked about with the Undiscovered Country. It, it's bringing context to the history of the Star Trek universe that we know it because we get to meet Zephram Cochran for the first. OK, not for the first time. For the second time, but we actually get to meet Zephram Cochran uh, before he does his legendary warp flight, which uh, brings Earth to the attention of the Vulcans. And you he was get fun. S- he was fun. He was so much fun, and, and I love the fact that they portrayed him as a very uh, not the larger in life character because uh, they talk a lot about hero worship in the film with these. The crew of the Enterprise meeting this guy who they who is history to them, who they grew up uh, studying his theories and his flights and what he did uh, for warp travel. And uh, he, he's a very revered character. And to meet him and just have him be very ordinary <laughs> uh, and get you might Deanna you might say Heather. You might say he was very down to earth. He was very down to earth, and it, it, it brings a, a very lightness to a very um, intense action movie uh, dealing with the Borg and everything else. Uh, so to have Cochrane be very down to earth like that, I, I think it. it really makes the movie um the movie wouldn't be as good as it is without that i really loved the story for this movie because i i remember seeing it in the theaters uh, and i've watched it a couple of times since then but uh, i go back to 1996 i was 12 and i just remember being so excited to see a Star Trek movie uh, in the theater like my mom got to do in the 80s. And it was telling a story that was actually a part of Star Trek history and then involving the Borg. 
because this was right when the next generation was still really, really hot and the Borg were still uh, at the forefront of everybody's minds as far as Star Trek villains go. And it was just a really exciting time. And as a kid, that was so inspiring. Uh, especially afterwards, uh, this was a time where I believe this was one of the movies where Data did have his emotion chip. I believe it was. Yes. yes. Okay. And the whole Data having the emotion chip and allowing Brent Spiner to really just go all out and just act as much as he wanted to was really really fun to watch and seeing brent spiner and especially patrick stewart uh just given that much more to room room to work with and perform and act on top of james cromwell who was an excellent actor in his own right it was just really enjoyable and entertaining to watch Uh, And on top of all of that, this was yet another Star Trek piece directed by none other than Jonathan Frakes, Heather. Uh, So two takes Frakes, he he got them through this one, too. He did. He did. And and, uh, I I mean, it, it just really puts Jonathan Frakes in like the iconic level when it comes to Star Trek directors, uh, the fact that he he directed this movie. Uh, I, I can give Star Trek First Contact a full two thumbs up all the way. In, in fact, I might actually watch it tonight. Uh, I'm not really feeling WrestleMania all that much, so <laughs> I'm, I might watch Star Trek First Contact tonight. That might be my, my evening entertainment star trek first contact so happy first contact day everybody and yeah if you haven't watched first contact you really should it's it's really good it's definitely more to look forward to than than the voyage home (laughs) that's what i'll say (laughs) it's 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 better than the voyage home (laughs) oh there's gonna be some people that come after you for that i am not one of them but there will be some people. <laughs> and, and that is okay. Uh, at call me DJM on Twitter. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, but okay, let's move into new business. New business. Star Trek Picard Season 1 is in the can. The first 10 episodes of the brand new series starring Patrick Stewart reprising his famous role as Jean-Luc Picard has come and gone. Heather, how did you feel overall about Star Trek Picard Season 1? Overall, I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it. Uh, There are a lot of different things I loved about the series. There are a lot of different things I wish I could have changed. but overall, I think especially the season finale really brought everything that was happening throughout uh, season one together in a really good way. And I enjoyed their solutions for a lot of the issues that came up with it. It, it, it was very 
it reminded me of TNG a lot, that season finale. It really did. It reminded me of some of the most dramatic moments of TNG. And uh, it might have been I rode a nostalgia high throughout the entire season finale. <laughs> I'll admit that. I'm, I love nostalgia. I really do. I get high on nostalgia. I get so excited for things that reminded me of stuff I grew up with. So I, I will completely admit that. But um, does Star Trek Picard fall into one of my favorite series of Star Trek after season one? No, it doesn't. But that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Okay, Heather, I'm going to take a quick second and restart the Skype call. It's getting a little crunchy. I'll be right back. Okay. Heather, here's what I'll say about Star Trek Picard Season 1. I think that Star Trek has a track record and a history of the first seasons of any series often being very rough, uh... The original series, maybe TNG and DS9, definitely. I think generally everyone agrees Voyager's first season was okay. Uh, Enterprise's first season, uh, and of course everyone knows that there, there's really no in between on Star Trek Discovery season one. You either love it or hate it. Yeah. I personally <laughs> loved it. I, I had went on record in saying that I thought that, at the time, uh, the first season of Star Trek Discovery was the best first season of a Star Trek series to date. However, I will say that I think Star Trek Picard has topped that. Uh, and I will agree with a lot of people that are saying that it was good, but very, very flawed. I think the positives were that... The characters and the actors were all excellent, pretty much across the board. They did a great job of developing new characters and bringing in legacy characters that we knew from the past. They did a really good job with balancing both of those. Uh, I think that the main story arc they had was a really good side story for for the overall Star Trek universe. I think that was really well done. I think my biggest complaint is that there were so many threads in this season, and it was only in 10 episodes. And I think that is what I think is the core of what a lot of people have issues with with the first season of Picard is that it was a 10 episode season that could have been 15 or 16 like Discovery has had. Uh, don't you agree? I I agree with that. I think definitely given at, at least three or four more episodes, there would have been time to expand on some of the, the story as they had it and it would have made it better for sure. Um, okay, um, so let's let's play fanfic for a little bit, Heather, uh, and I'll ask you uh, a couple of things that you would like to see going forward in Star Trek Picard. Well, I I think my main thing, and uh, <laughs> not to use a wrestling term here, but I would like to see Picard put over some of the new cast of characters that we've gotten to know. And, you want uh, them to get a push, right? You want yes. them to get a push? Yes. I, I, I want agree. Them, 
to get a push. Uh, Picard is is the ring veteran here, and uh, it's time for him to use his popularity to kind of uh, push and endorse these new characters. Uh, so I, I would like to see a little bit more of that happening going forward in season two, uh, basically using as much as like season one really focused on the story of Picard and how he interacted with people, uh, they can still do that and still uh, use it to Picard's relationship to all of these characters now and use it to push the newer characters forward. So you get to know them better. I definitely agree with you on the new characters, uh, especially Chris Rios. He, I think, is a character that could be worth his own season on his own. Uh, same with Rafi. Uh, I think those are the two big characters that come to mind the most for me as having a ton of, of material to work with. Uh, I will say for me, something that I'd like to see from Picard going forward, and we saw it in the season finale, in the last few moments of the season finale, we saw Starfleet. I would like to see the Federation. Heather, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. It just sounds like a car or something went by. Uh, yeah. I was just going. I was just going to say I would like to see the Federation. Uh, we got to see a couple of different places and a couple of different planets, and we got to see Starfleet. I would like to see the larger Federation uh, in later seasons of Picard, because I feel like we have a whole universe to explore. Uh, can you bring in the Klingons? Sure. Can you bring in the Romulans again? Absolutely. You could definitely bring back the Borg. And hey, you could even think of a new species too, just to make things more interesting. I feel like the possibilities are endless with what you can do now. Uh, one, that it's already past the established Star Trek time. Uh, this is 20 years after Nemesis. And like Star Trek Discovery going all the way into the future, you can pretty much kind of do whatever you want to work with. And I find that really exciting. I, I want to see more of what the Federation and the Star Trek universe has to offer. I think that's definitely a possibility for season two. Uh, if And spoiler alert for anyone who has not read the novel The Last Best Hope. Skip ahead a few minutes if you need to, so you don't have to hear this. But in the novel, they address a lot of like the po political situation of the Federation, and that's something that they could very easily bring in to Star Trek Picard and still keep a lot of the themes that they've been talking about. Uh, but like one of the things they address is how like the outer planets feel like they don't get enough representation or don't get listened to as much than the, the founding fathers of the Federation. And I think that would be something really interesting to explore on screen. So there's, so many different threads that all they need to do is just pick up one and, and run with it and uh, see where it goes. And, and make sure it's more than 10 episodes. 
Yeah. Uh, Heather, tell me something from this season of Picard that you feel like probably could have been cut or, or something that probably wasn't necessary or really a big part of the season that was needed. Oh, I, I don't know really if there's anything that could have been cut. I, I think a lot of the different things they showed us on screen, uh, they, they have a plan for it at some point. The one thing I, probably the thing I struggled with the most out of the entire season was in episode seven when they killed off Hugh. Yeah, that was a big one. Um, it and uh, as much as they want to say, oh, his death had meaning because he was fighting for his XBs, but they the the way they did that, it just seems so unnecessary. Uh, they they could have found a way to still keep his character alive and still bring Seven into that situation on the board cube. And uh, I, I I just I really felt like that death wasn't needed um especially since like they start out the episode making it seem like they they can't kill him because of their treaty with the federation and then they end up killing him anyway it 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 seemed really wasteful of a character that they brought back and brought a lot more meaning to because i mean i enjoyed hugh in his couple episodes of the next generation but uh seeing hugh and picard was really a, a breath of fresh air and, and it was a a very warm and and positive side to that episode when him and picard meet again um it, it was really lovely to see and so you, you fall in love with this character all over again in one episode and then in the next episode you kill him it that that one hurt that hurt a lot okay i i definitely agree with you on that one but i am going to say something controversial and this is something that i had really thought about for some time when it came to picard uh because i felt like there was a character in the cast that probably would have been a really good character for maybe a one or two part episode of the next generation. But after that, he really didn't serve much purpose. And I I kept thinking about it and I understand that there will be some action in this series and there will need to be somebody that will do the action scenes. But I kept thinking about Elnor and I just kept mulling over his story arc within this series. When he was a child, Jean-Luc Picard was there almost as a father figure for him. Then the evacuation happened, and then that failed. And then he felt Picard abandoned him. And then they reconciled. And then I kept thinking, isn't that pretty much the end of his story arc? And I kept thinking to myself, would I really be that bothered if Elnor wasn't in season two? And my answer was no, because I'm really not sure how much more of a purpose he would serve beyond the action scenes at this point. So 
I think that as far as Star Trek Picard goes, it's not that I dislike him. I actually liked him quite a lot. I just, I feel like I could take or leave Elnor at this point. I, I thought he... He was a good character. I thought the actor played him really well. I thought the action scenes were really cool. But with the way the story played out, I'm not really sure what else is there for him right now. Um, well, I, I kind of feel the same way about Dr. Gerardi. Yeah, I can see that. I can get that. Um, because I, I, I really feel like she should face some consequences for killing Maddox and especially with Soji deciding to continue on the ship with them. It, it, it seems like they don't need to have her there. Um, that, that her, her art should end up with her going to prison. <laughs> and... I, I can definitely see where you're coming from on that one. I think that will be one that will be addressed in the future. Uh, Soji and Gerardi. I definitely yeah. see that being something they'll go back to. Yeah, I can see that. I hope so. I, I completely agree, though. I do completely agree that she should probably face her crimes. She she definitely should. And, and I think that the, the cast kind of gave her a pass. And I would not be surprised if, if not the Federation, then probably the Romulans would probably come after her, too, for stopping them from, you know, taking care of the synth planet. It would not. It would not surprise me. I. I also, um, Narek. We didn't really see what happened to him either. We did, did we really see what happened to him? No. <laughs> yeah. uh, I. I think that's something that probably got left on the cutting room floor because uh, I imagine they. It, it, it's one of those things you think about when they actually shoot a film that the, or a. a an episode that they do have all these things they wanted to tie up and then stuff gets cut at some point. And I think Narek, what ultimately happened to Narek after the, the synth dragged him off, uh, probably ended up on the cutting room floor somewhere. So that, but that was one of the ones I, I don't know. I'm not a fan of Narek. Um, he, he, yes, he did a complete, 360 and ended up helping them in the last yeah, I, w I wouldn't but, say it was complete. I don't what? think it was complete. Yeah, it, it's one of those things I don't understand why he suddenly changed his mind and decided he was going to help them out if he had other ulterior motives to that. I, I really don't know. Uh, he, he, I didn't trust the guy. And to be honest, until like people online started pointing it out, oh, what happened to Eric? I didn't really knew realize that I they, they didn't complete his story because I just yeah, uh, didn't care that much. All I remember was the last we saw of him was just some sense taking him away. Yeah. Um, whatever the sense ends up doing with him, I, I hope they have fun with it. <laughs> I, I, I really won't mind if he doesn't come back. I really won't. Yeah. So, yeah, overall, 
Uh, for me, I will say Star Trek Picard was a very good, but not perfect, season of television, but a great first season of Star Trek. Judging it on the standards of Star Trek first seasons, it, it was terrific. And I think it set up a lot of room to grow. So I'm, I'm very, very happy with that. Uh, so... Upcoming business, uh, looking to the future, looking ahead. Uh, this is something that I talked about on APOS, uh, anime podcast of some sort, uh, the last episode. Uh, given the, the outbreak, the, the COVID-19 outbreak, a lot of events are being canceled. Uh, conventions, shows, concerts, all those kinds of things are being canceled or postponed. And the concept came to me, uh, or that I'd seen online, was virtual cons and it was this idea of convention organizers getting guests and and all of that stuff to do it over the internet with live streams and what have you and i thought huh that's an interesting idea and then i was thinking to myself what would what would a virtual star trek convention look like what would that look like and Heather, I'll ask you. We can we can brainstorm this before we before we head off for a few minutes. Uh, if we were putting together a virtual Star Trek convention, what should we put in it? What should we do? I uh, I I think the one major thing that would have to be put in it because I is like something with like taking and I. I I apologize because I don't know all the technical details of what goes into a virtual con or whatever. But I think something that would be really cool would be like taking virtual photo ops on like your favorite starship. So like your favorite starship bridge, things like that. Um, I, I I think the other th- I, the other major thing would probably just be like question and answer sessions, um, something a little bit more personal with the, the cast where you, you can ask questions and they can answer it. Um, like I said, I, I, I'm not the technical genius. You know that <laughs> you're the one that does all the technical stuff with the podcast. <laughs> I sit there and go, I don't know how to press this well, button. If you were going to a Star Trek convention, what would you like to see? What would you be going there for? I'd be going there to meet, um, and I know this sounds silly because a lot of people go, oh, I, I go for the environment. I go to meet other fans. I go to meet celebrities. <laughs> I do. <laughs> because the, the, that's if, if I'm, I'm going to pay the money to go to a convention, I want to meet people who I or take the opportunity to meet people that I wouldn't normally get a chance to meet. And that would be the, the cast of characters of my favorite TV show. So that's number one on my list. And it's not exactly the same doing it online, but you still really get, um, like even when it comes to just interacting with some of the Star Trek celebrities on Twitter or on Instagram, you still really get an exciting rush that, oh my God, they actually responded to me. Oh, that's so exciting. You know, I get yes, like that. Yes, yes. I'm not going to lie. I do. I, I, I fangirl out in those instances because it's just, 
it's the 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 person you never think would actually respond to you um having a conversation with them can be the most thrilling thing in the world for me so that that's what i look at when it comes to going to conventions and and like i said doing it in virtual isn't exactly the same thing it's it's probably not something i would pay as much money for than i would to go to an actual convention but would i still pay something for the opportunity yeah i probably would okay uh, I know that for me, I do agree with you on the celebrities part that, that I agree with. And I think we all do deep down when it comes to conventions. But I'm also someone who has attended a lot of conventions. Uh, and I know for a Star Trek convention, the big thing for me would be uh, meeting other Trekkies. Uh, I would be in a Starfleet uniform of some kind. And just to have that communal moment is really, really cool. Uh, and also set pieces. Uh, I love the idea of sitting down uh, on a makeshift bridge and having my picture taken in my uniform. I feel like that's one of the coolest things. Uh, I know that there was that game for a while where you could uh, play inside of a of a bridge uh, of a Starfleet vessel and you could kind of role play a little bit. Uh, I think that there's there's some things to work with there. Uh, you could maybe do like some live role playing with other Star Trek fans with Starfleet stuff and and maybe having a battle in space and that kind of thing. Uh, yes, talking with celebrities, definitely. And I do think that given the circumstances, it's something that could be fun. I, I don't think it would be the the prices that a regular Star Trek convention would be, because guys, let me tell you, in comparison to a lot of other nerd conventions out there, Star Trek cons are really expensive. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, they're on the higher end of conventions prices. Uh, I, I think that it would probably be something manageable. I think it would be more fan-focused and more community-focused, which I think is really cool. And I think that the actors and actresses involved with the franchise would definitely be involved, too. And I think if something were to come along like that, because I know that there are uh, on the anime side of things, which I follow, there are a few fires out there that are being looked at to see maybe if a virtual convention could work. So maybe if some Star Trek people out there might look into this, it could happen that there's potential for it. So who knows? We'll, we'll keep our eyes open. But until then, Heather... It's been another episode of the Promenade Merchants Podcast. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. This has been a lot of fun. And, you know, I think this is our longest episode yet. We really dove into some uh, Star Trek here. So we, we did. We talked about some Star Trek a lot. We really <laughs> did. Uh, and I hope you all enjoy it. Uh, I know that now that we're all quarantined and working from home, we've got 
a lot of podcasts to catch up with and listen to. So we hope you enjoy this one. We hope you enjoy the Promenade Merchants podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, be it Apple Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all of the others. Follow us on Twitter at PromTrekPod. That's P-R-O-M-T-R-E-K-P-O-D, PromTrekPod. And until next time, walk with the prophets, live long and prosper, have a beer and party in Montana, happy First Contact Day, and thank you for listening. Live long and prosper. I think I got all of them in there, didn't I? I Uh, You did, you did. Okay, all right.